1: Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, I am Seth Liebson, 602 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. I was just kind of thinking over the course of the top of the hour break, the conversations I was just having with uh, the last couple of callers about uh, what our college students know and what they don't know. Uh, one of them was raising the issue with regard to the from the River to the Sea uh, meme that a lot of these students, when you interview them, aren't sure what what river, what sea. A lot of them are, but a lot of them aren't. And then we had another caller saying, um, you know, perhaps it's the education system itself that's 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 been the failure, and um, the standards aren't tough enough um, in some respects. And um, and and I was just I was just remarking, you know. Actual knowledge is one thing, you know, knowing how to add, knowing how to read, knowing how to divide, knowing certain basic facts about life is one thing. That's a certain kind of knowledge. But there's a moral wisdom, too, that we should require and not forget of our students, as Theodore Roosevelt put it, to educate them. Man and the mind, and not the morals, is to educate a menace to society. And I was just thinking a little bit more about that. I mean, it would these 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 statements from the river to the sea, though people may think either ignorant or just another foreign policy point of view, uh, have no concept that they would be in the equivalent of nineteen forty saying and rhyming such things as from sea to shining sea germany shall be free or from sea to shining sea um hitler shall be free or from you you take the point the the point being this why why, why do you end up on that side even if you don't know the difference between or where the mediterranean and and the Red Sea is, if that's what you're talking about, or the North and the Adriatic, let us say, how do you end up on the side of the immoral? How do you end up on the side of the evil? How do you end up on the the side that's not just anti-American, but evil? How do you end up on the side of the long knives? And, um, And that's its own special question. And I was thinking about something we didn't delve into yesterday, though we mentioned it, which was when you look at most terrorist-type movements, be they Marxist or Nazi-inspired, they come from places of high or elite culture, do they not? Uh, If if we're talking Jew hatred uh, in Europe— Uh, Russia and Germany were high marks of civilization in culture, all the arts, of course, and great works of literature and theater and entertainment and what have you. They were high marks of of culture, weren't they? Um, And if you look here, you see most of this is coming from the college campuses and emanating centrifugally from them. It's true of terrorism, too. If you look at various terrorist movements, almost, not all, but almost all of them, particularly if you're talking Arab terrorism, they all have doctors in front, not all again, but a lot of them have doctors in front of their names, don't they? they are PhDs and MDs, an awful lot of them. A lot of them are graduates have have graduate degrees, not just bachelor's degrees, but master's degrees. Um this 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 mind and not the morals education is a very serious point. And then you contrast it, as I was wanting to do yesterday, with these great stories of these American farmers from Montana and Wyoming and Idaho who just Not from Cambridge and not from Manhattan and not from New Haven and not from Evanston and not from Gailey Avenue in Los Angeles, but from, you know, the places the media tends to ignore and the elites tend to ignore and the PhDs tend to ignore, the cowboys and the farmers. They just picked up and went to Israel without a second thought to go help, to go help till the fields in the kibbutzim that were rendered uh, empty by the terrorist acts and to fill the duties of the ranchers that had to suit up and go to war. If you haven't seen this stuff on social media, it just makes you want to cry. I I selected one piece of audio from So Much. This is um, Stuart Varney. Just take a moment with me
0: of cowboys from montana travel to israel to help farmers there harvest their crops one of the cowboys is john plotcher who joins me now john when i was trying to tell the audience that you were going to be with us i said you would stick out like a sore thumb in israel do you
2: yeah pretty much uh yeah we stand out quite a bit we normally uh yeah we've been getting a, whole, a lot of people stopping wanting to take pictures and stuff
0: <laughs> i'll bet what are you teaching them
2: Sorry, I didn't quite hear you.
0: Okay, what are you teaching them?
2: Oh, teaching them? Oh, I think they're teaching me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the people of Israel are... are They live and they're, they're here in the land. It's their land. And uh, I'm just excited to be here and support and work with them.
0: How did this group come together? Montana cowboys coming together to go to Israel. How do you do that?
2: H- how do we do it? Well, what we're doing is we're out here in Judea and Samaria... Uh, I'm working with an organization called Hyovel, and they, uh, it's Operation Etai And what they're doing is they're supporting the farmers and the Jewish communities out here in Judea and Samaria. They're bringing things, uh, essential supplies needed for the communities around here so that the, what happened on the attack here recently doesn't happen out here. Um, they're bringing in bulletproof vests, um, night vision goggles, security drones, stuff to keep these communities safe. Um, so what we're doing is we're distributing supplies. We're uh, working uh, at, on a warehouse here on base. We've been out in the communities uh, helping with just regular tasks, just stuff where they're all the men are out working or they're being called up for the draft. John, and so uh, we've been working on some of the farms around here and stuff like that.
0: Forgive me for asking, um, are you Jewish or any members of uh, other cowboys from Montana? Are you Jewish? No, we are not. Are you fundamentalist Christians who go back to the Holy Land?
2: Um, yeah, I'm a Bible believer. I believe in the whole Bible, and I believe in the um, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, uh, yeah, we believe that this land was given to the Jewish people by God, and uh, they have a right to this to this land. And, um, yeah, definitely. It goes
1: on, and there are a lot of interviews of these guys, and it, as I say, it just tugs at the heart. And you can compare, compare and contrast that to the, the privileged elites at Columbia, Harvard, and Yale and elsewhere. It reminds you, William Buckley, obviously the man who said, I'd rather be governed by the first 2,000 names of the Boston phone directory than the first 2,000 names of the Harvard faculty director, was on to something when he said that, obviously getting at a similar sentiment. But he also liked to quote an old columnist, an old newspaper columnist um, named Adams, uh, Franklin Adams, who said that the average american is a little above average the common american you know the common american farmer what he's given us um is so disdained and 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 so uh, dismissed by the people who uh who 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 spend years and years and years at places like cambridge and the east side and west side of manhattan uppers always right um it's 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 something about the intellectualization of moral idiocy and disdain for America that just doesn't exist with the common American and something needs to be said for that person. I'll say a little bit more when we come back after this break see, do you remember was it wasn't there a Paul Harvey, tribute to the American farmer, God made a farmer. I'll take a look at that over the break, too. He probably got it just right. All right, a lot more to do. 602 508 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're on hold, please stay there. You know who you are. I want to hear from you. Um, let's give that tribute to the American farmer, Paul Harvey. So God made a farmer. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker, so God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to rustle a calf and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to call hogs, tame, cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding, visiting ladies, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon and mean it. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, show a horse with a hunk of car tire and make harnesses out of haywire, feed sacks and shoe scraps, who, planting time and harvest season, will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then, painting from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God had to have somebody willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay in ahead of the rain clouds and yet stop in midfield and race to help when he sees the first smoke from a neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave b- bales, yet gentle enough to tame lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadow lark. Had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk and replenish the self-feeder, and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who would bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what Dad does. So God made a farmer. Thank you, Farmer. Thank you, Paul Harvey. Back to William Buckley for half a moment. Again, if you're on hold, please stay with me. A friend of ours, uh, Steve, uh, sent me a portion of this earlier today, this morning. An old essay of William Buckley's, I shall quote at length, To say a college should not take sides because it cannot know which side is right or because it cannot afford the chances of taking the wrong side is to sentence colleges to a destiny of intellectual futility and bring education into the discredit in which so many people now hold it. If it is academically presumptuous for a college to assert, for instance, that the Western way of life is better than that of the communists, then education has become frivolous. It is the duty of a university to pass on to its students the prodigious intellectual and moral patrimony and accumulated by the generations and generations of scholars and students who agonized before us. To assume, as academic freedom implicitly does, that every child, every student should, in non-scientific matters, begin again fresh as though Plato and Aristotle, and Augustine, and Saint Thomas had among them reached not one dependable conclusion. Is to doubt the very structure of learning. Is to doubt that there are any aims at all, aside from purely utilitarian ones, to education. If it can be said that education of, if it can be said that the education of Lenin produced an aberrant, then it tacitly conceded that standards exist by which he is judged an aberrant, standards we accept. If the giraffe leans down to the level of the donkey and says, RUNT! There is implicit an idea of a decent elevation for animals, to which the donkey does not attain. It must follow, then, that there are standards by which, taking the measure of their deviation, we judge such matters as whether Lenin or Hitler or Leninism or Hitlerism deserves equal attention and respect from our students, whether a university should be impartial to them. And if there are standards, they ought to be accounted for in any theory of education which aims to speak intelligibly. School ought not to be neutral. Schools should not proceed as though the wisdom of our fathers were too tentative to serve as an educational base. The Ten Commandments do not sit about shaking, awaiting their inevitable deposition by some swashbuckling professor of ethics. Certain great truths have been apprehended. In the field of morality, all the basic truths have been apprehended, and we are going to teach these and teach and demonstrate how it is that those who disregard them fall easily into the alien pitfalls of communism or fascism. He could add Islamism. There is purpose in life. It is known what that purpose is, in part because it has been divulged, in part because man is endowed with a rational mechanism by which he can apprehend it. Educators should pass on those truths and endow students with the knowledge of the processes by which they are recognized as such. To do this is the single greatest contribution a teaching institution can make. It is the aim of education to which all else is subordinate and derivative. If education can endow students with the powers of ethical and rational discrimination by which to discern and give their allegiance to the great certitudes of the West, we shall have a breed of men who will discharge truly the responsibilities that face them as the result of changing conditions. Close quote. I would just add if we don't, we won't. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. I
3: always enjoy that, Seth. Thank you. And, um, you know, one of those things that uh, I think my dad, um, being a little older when he got married, he you know, like I said before, he's born 1909, comes from a totally several generations back in a different America. And they saw the, the value of hard work and virtue and wisdom. Uh, wouldn't let me have another job, um, except my first job was for a dairy farmer, mm. you know, coming mm. from a sales, very successful businessman. And um, I used to get made fun of at school because it was like, what What am I doing working in a dairy farm? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I come home uh, in the summer, I'd be bailing hay, they didn't have the automatic thing, uh, ejectors and they didn't have... The wrong so we had to pick up the bales by hay, by hand, they were, you know, hot, sweaty. And uh, when you'd come home after milking, you I smelled so bad, my mother made me strip buck naked and then go downstairs in the basement to shower.
1: <laughs> Can and, I take a break and pick up on that with you? Sure. All right. Sure, sure. There I way. say I take a break. It's really for you yeah. to take a break. It's really for us to not even take a break, just to pay for the conversation we'll be right back are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life or are they creating problems enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite midas gold group believes it's the latter from draconian covid restrictions the decimation of small businesses and changed election laws midas believes your finances will be next Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. And thousands of you know and trust the veterans at Midas Gold Group already, like Seb Gorka and I, because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy, give the Midas Gold Group a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000, or check them out online at midasgoldgroup.com. Midasgoldgroup.com. We're talking with Doug in Maricopa. Doug, thanks for waiting.
3: Yeah, no problem.
1: Well, you know, and I was going to call
3: to talk about what I think the principles of liberalism and leftism and Marxism in the Middle East, and now I'm caught up in this because I think it's it's an important thing for us to to realize the morals, the integrity, and the work ethic of the American tradition of the farm based on the farmer. But I think what my dad was making sure I knew was hard work, and not separating myself because I had the perception that it came from the upper. Um, you know, middle class and that kind of thing from a pretty well off family. Um, you know, he made sure. But what I that I knew hard work. And here's the other thing that this man who I perceived as you know wearing uh, you know dirty clothes, oftentimes smelling manure and everything else that they were just a bunch of bumblers. I found I began to realize they were the best men I knew. Yeah. Their handshake was better than a contract. Yeah. Their word was their bond. Yeah. They knew they knew real estate, they knew commodities from what how they were planning. They knew basic they knew basic economics. They knew basic mechanics. They had to know personnel and how to handle it. They knew more than through two or three different businesses put together. And they knew and right they from wrong it. too. And they knew right from wrong. Like I said, their word was their bond, yeah. which entails much. Yep, It entails it entails integrity. It means telling the truth yep. and holding others to that truth. Yep. And uh, when I went to stay at some of my friends, because my dad and mom, I think, intentionally moved out to a small farming community, my friend was uh, a really incredible young man, grew up, uh, he was uh, lived on a dairy farm. And uh, son of a gun, someone woke us up at five in the, 4.30 in the morning because we had to go milk the cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the heck was that? I know. But it was the most enriching family experience I'd ever seen. The young girls and uh, older girls and the young men and the older young men all worked together in a team in an attitude of love, and, you know. And um, his brother was twelve years old and was driving a John Deere two banger you know <laughs> he was, uh, and he, he was pulling two wagons and he could pull it two hay wagons, he could pull them in and back them up. That kind of common sense and experience when all all these young men went on, they had good families, hard work, and they went on to businesses, even if they went on to education, the savvy and the good American values. Persevered through all their endeavors to the rest of their lives. These were good people, you know, and that, that's what I think he, my my father was and mother were teaching us that these were not people to be looked down to, but look up to, you know. And I say that when I built several other businesses, and the um I grew to respect the men of the trades, the electrician, the plumber, the concrete men. You know, the people who started off there, uh, one of my collectors started off as a linesman, and they built up a huge corporation, but he's still a linesman in his mind. You know, these are all men of their hard work with their hands. Yeah. And they have the same characteristics that these farmers had. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I look to them. Much more than I look to the pointy heads.
1: Good, you know. Good. Let's I really put some do. of these guys on uh, on the talk shows, and and learn from yeah. them. Uh, there's something about uh, someone a Rabbi once told me. He said, "You know, don't just pass over the fact that so many of the biblical heroes were shepherds. You know, and farmers. Don't pass over that lesson either." Thanks, Doug. We'll be right back. Every night at this time, do you know what I'm thinking about? Dinner. I'm thinking about dinner. So I don't eat all day. Do you know what I had for dinner? Like, you would never guess. You know what? I would never guess what I had for dinner last night. Tell me. I was in the mood for some reason. They've, it's been said that, you know, sometimes when you crave something, maybe there's something physiologically your body is telling yeah, you Yeah, that you your need. body needs it. Yeah, yeah, that. you've heard this. I was craving salad. I know I'm letting you down with this. Mr. Bill is shaking his head. I stopped by. I had heard great things about Salad and Go. I looked at their menu. I wanted everything on it. They have, like, several different kinds of salads you can get. I went to a Salad and Go last night, and I got. I had a salad for dinner, and it was fantastic, and it was fast. It was fast. The service was pleasant. You go right through. No waiting. No, you know, stop and pull over, and we'll hand it to you later or whatever. It was just. Delicious.
4: I'm a big fan of Salad. You know Salad and Go? Of course. Well, do you know why you should be a big fan of Why
1: them? should I be a big because fan? Because
4: they're an Arizona company. Are they really? They were founded by a couple of teachers oh, God and bless. their philosophy is that they wanted to provide a meal for educators yeah. in the school system under $10 that they could pick up. That's why they're open so early in the mornings and they also serve breakfast.
1: And so that they can do it on a quick lunch break too, I suppose. I that, suppose, yeah, it yeah, goes could, fast. A
4: lot of teachers will work through those lunch periods uh, with, uh, you know, maybe remedial students. Oh, I see have what this you're saying. Lunch ready to go, so it's open it's, early. Get lunch for less than ten dollars. It was
1: fantastic. I think they're open to until with you. I think they're open into the evenings now, though, mm-hmm.
4: right? Yeah. And you'll never
1: spend more than eight minutes in uh, one of their drive-throughs or eight bucks. I mean, my <laughs> God, it was it was it was it was, it was fu- fantastic. So this whole thing about me eating less and less meat has been made even better, easier,
4: even easier. Yeah, That's perfect and
1: delicious and fresh. Anyway, not a not a sponsor, but I just I knew I'd surprise you and many in the audience. I'm surprised I would have surprised myself a couple months ago or a month ago or whatever. But uh, a good word for salad salad I wanted to put in a good word for salad and go. Um. All right. I took notes yesterday on unresolved. We have unresolved things with you, David.
4: Unresolved things.
1: We don't have to do the brewing of coffee, do we? That was that. It's eh. the long sleeve version you have of my shirt. We'll save that. We'll save that for a day. What about the digital deserve. date? I want. I was. You oh, went gosh. on a digital date. What's this about, young David? <laughs> Young David is a man I, I about was, town. He um, went on I was a, a digital man about date.
4: town, I was a man out of town. <laughs> what what what
1: is this digital dating business?
4: Um, I don't know if it I don't I, don't, I didn't feel very great about it. I don't it even know what it a, is. A group thing. Um, well, I've have I told you about the right stuff?
1: I don't think so.
4: The right stuff is a dating app designed for for young conservatives in America to okay. meet each other. Okay. And it was romantically? Yes, it was oh, okay. So it's founded by a just former a member book club. of the Trump administration who wanted to create a dating app okay. for uh young conservatives. Okay. And I uh met someone on there who I connected with and we have mentioned her on this show before. <laughs> okay. And I, I was invited to uh, like a group video
1: Zoom uh, type thing. Yeah, yeah. I,
4: I don't even know. Like mixer, I think they called it. Okay. They called it a mixer. Okay and uh, she was there, and I was there, a and mixer. several other people. That, I haven't heard um,
1: mixer in forever. That, that's an old phrase. I made some soup, yeah. poured
4: myself a martini, yeah. and uh, was got, I got. I had a suit on and got on there, and I, I didn't think it went great, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I think the in-person connection really helps, yeah. But I, I can't understand women.
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out if a digital date theoretically does go well. Do you ever progress beyond the digital part? Do you ever get to meet? Them yes, at- it's just very expensive and requires what? airline tickets. Oh, this person was out of town,
4: out of the state. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. So that it was anybody a destination was date. In the Phoenix metro area. I would ever do a digital date with. It was a
1: destination <laughs> date.
4: A destination dipple, digital date. Yeah, a destination
1: D. digital date for David Doll. Yeah, it's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> That's a lot of D's. It's a lot of alliteration. All right, we've got that. How the heck? Okay, I wrote this down for you, David. People are fascinated by you.
4: They're fascinated by me. Yeah, that I, makes I know I am. One of us. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, me and thousands of others. Um, how do you go out for tacos for lunch and get involved in a roiling political discussion with someone? I go to lunch if I I don't go to lunch anymore. I, but if I go to lunch or dinner, let's okay. I used to go to. Go to lunch, but I if I'm going out to dinner, if I'm not getting a salad to go, I go in. I'm minding my own business. Hi, would you like to be seated? Yes, reservation, party of two, four, whatever it is. Leibson, okay, party of three, whatever. Sit down. Can I get you a drink? Can I get you something to eat while you're waiting? Whatever. Never does it come up that someone will say to me, and— what are your political views on <laughs> the current contentions of the moment? Well, how I, do you go to lunch at a simple taco place and come back telling me all about a political debate you got into?
4: I was having a, a lunch d- d- rendezvous with someone who's in a meeting, adje- I mean, sorry, in a building adjacent to
1: ours. Oh, whom so I it was
4: a- outside of. Uh, work yes.
1: So you deliberately were meeting a person yes, I was for deliberately him. meeting someone. Oh, and he was aware that I was involved. In oh, radio and
4: asked uh, oh. some of my opinions regarding oh. the Israel Hamas war, oh. which seems to be getting me in debates recently. <laughs> and he said he had many of his opinions change over the past thirty days as a result of the war.
1: Oh, so that's different then, as Emily Latella would say. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, Emily Latella. I don't think I do. Uh, gilda Radner on saturday night live she'd go off on these rants you can look her up emily Latella, uh like um puerto rico wants to become a steak that's ridiculous a steak. why would puerto rico yeah. want to become a ste-? and then she gets interrupted not a steak emily a state she would go oh that's different isn't it and then she'd say never mind yeah, you could look that up. But anyway, okay, so that's different. So you knew the person you were going to lunch with. Somewhat, yeah.
4: We'd never had lunch one-on-one before. It was interesting, yeah.
1: All right, well, then then there's no, okay. Well, tell him to call in. We'll, we'll straighten you. up. You betcha I did. Okay. He right. said he probably wouldn't.
4: What? <laughs> Why? I think, as uh, Dennis Prager has said about many uh, college universities, I think sometimes people who have opposing viewpoints are afraid of talking to someone who may know a little bit more about their viewpoint, who might put some sense into them.
1: You know what's interesting about that, though, is you said this person had their mind changed. That's what's interesting. They started That's off. That's what he said. Yeah. He
4: said um, the past thirty days had changed his mind. Hmm. And I I guess I can't get into
1: too many details. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to. That's interesting, though. They would change their mind from something they were settled on. They would change their mind to a recent point of view on something they were settled on. You know, it's kind of a version of what I was was talking about in the first segment. But they're so enamored with the new point of view that they've held for only 30 days, evidently-ish, a month. That they're not even willing to hear about why they might have been right for the past three years prior to the previous 30 days. That's a weird orientation, isn't it? It's like you're way? attracted. It's like a nostalgia de la Bui. It's like you're attracted to the mud. I'm insulting your friend. I don't mean to, but it is <laughs> weird.
4: Did you ever feel that way? What way? I know we don't have much time left in the segment, but you had a uh, college conversion. Did you ever feel like, oh, maybe this is just a fad and I'll go back to the ways of my boyhood?
1: Sure. Yeah? Sure. I thought when I went to London to study that might happen. I was reconfirmed. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Portions brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi, great uh, citizens in our community and great sponsors and offerers of a Tremendous investment where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. Uh, You're in control here, totally. Um, Peace of mind. You get your monthly statement. No surprises. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees, no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. It's a secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Invest the letter Y, then R E F Y dot com, or call 888 Y Refi 24, 888 Y Refi 24. Folks all over the country are earning a high fixed rate of return with Y Refi. They don't care about what happens with the stock market or the Fed because it's not tied to it. And you can do well by doing good. Again, invest Y Refi dot com or 888 Y Refi 24, and uh, tell them Seth sent you. I don't know if you were watching any of these. Um, Speakers at the march on the Washington D.C. Mall today. Uh, I know Hugh Hewitt was there, and uh, I knew some other people that were there. Some guests from our show. Tevy was there. Bethany Mandel, probably a bunch of others as well. Uh, Seth Mandel, Bethany's husband. He he put up, he put up this Twix. Was truly an honor to be with 290,000 good friends today on the Mall. You'll like this, David. He writes, "Was truly an honor to be with 290,000 good friends today on the mall." Though, according to the Hamas Health Ministry, there were at least three billion there. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know what was interesting about Tale of Two Protests? I mean, look at the protests you saw over the weekend. Good Lord, over Veterans Day, tearing down American flags from poles. This was just patriotica marches you could possibly have with speakers from both sides of our political aisle, Uh, peaceful, respectful, prayerful. Um,
4: I don't know what it says about me, but I was so worried about something happening.
1: Well, you weren't alone. You weren't alone. DHS had it as a level one security operation um, or warning. Uh, You weren't alone. Um, I knew a couple of speakers. Yeah, you weren't. But um, just look at the... if you need to, if you like this country, look at the protests from Veterans Day weekend, and look at this march today, and tell me which one was American, which one, you know, spoke to America's greatest ideals, was peaceful, respectful, prayerful, even in parts biblical, and which one was screaming and imprecating to terrorist actions and tearing down American flags. And intimidating. Just ask yourself that question. Okay, we'll be right back.